Hi, how are you? You're listening to Feed, Play, Love, a podcast that's all about supporting parents as they bring up children. We've got experts and advice to help you through the more challenging bits of parenting. I'm Siobhan Hunt. When was the last time you lost your cool with your kid? Was it when they took 30 minutes to put on their second sock before school? Or maybe it was something a bit more serious, like when they hit their brother. Whatever the reason, it's not fun for anyone. Renee Mill is a clinical psychologist and the author of Parenting Without Anger, Practical Strategies to Create Cooperative Kids and Happy Families. She's here in the studio today. Hi, Renee. Welcome. Hello, Siobhan. So anger feels like a very natural reaction to trying situations. What's wrong with expressing anger in front of children? Oh, that's a weighted question. So much is wrong. First of all, it's it's a form of abuse, actually. There's even been thought about um, prosecuting parents who shout at their kids. I wouldn't go that far. But when someone shouts at you, it's actually a form of an attack. So when a child grows up with chronic anger, we're not talking about occasional anger, you know, sit up straight, you're always getting it wrong, why did you do that again? It really is attack, 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 and it erodes the child's self-confidence, and it also creates a lot of tension at home. It can affect the other children. It affects the running of the home. There's really a lot of things that's destructive about anger. What's happening in your brain when you get angry? Your brain fires. You have a part of your brain called the primitive brain, and that's the same brain that fires when you're anxious. What a lot of people don't know is anger and anxiety are two sides of fight or flight. So when you're angry, it's actually a response to a feeling of danger. You're not listening to me. I'm not getting what I want. It's not happening. And you actually fire off your primitive brain. And it sets off this whole reaction in your body. But it also means that your higher parts of your brain, your executive functions, actually don't work. And you stop being logical and rational. Now, this is going to sound like a loaded mm-hmm. question, but I'll be completely honest. Mm-hmm. I, very recently, I was chatting to a friend about how we respond to our kids when they do something like misbehave. And let's be honest, we were complaining about our husbands and how they respond. So what we were saying was that what tends to happen in our homes anyway is that if the child does something wrong or naughty or whatever it might be, that we as the mums were trying to uh, get down on their level, talk to them, whatever, and our partners were reacting in anger and were yelling and being aggressive. Now, what we both thought was common in our experience is that our partners think that we're soft because of the way we respond and that anger or their anger was appropriate. And I was wondering, I mean, this is just a very small anecdote, obviously, with Mm. just myself and my friend, but I was wondering whether there is something in that gender split about our approach to anger Are women or mothers more able to see the damage it can cause? Are men conditioned to think it's an appropriate reaction to bad behaviour? I mean, I know those are gross generalisations, but I'm wondering what your experience is. It's interesting because more and more there is um, writing and talk that it's less about gender and more about personality. So I sit with a lot of couples where the wife is the one who's yelling and screaming and angry and the husband is the more laid back one and is often the fun one and the Santa Claus one. So I don't think it's gender related. I think it's more personality and family background. So with that argument where someone might think that anger is 
a justified response. So one of the uh, defences, I guess you could call it, I get from my partner is, well, you know, they need to know that they've upset me and they need to know there are consequences to their actions. What's the response that you would give to something like that? So I hear that all the time. And the kind of thing people will say to me is, come on, everyone smacks their child occasionally. Or, you know, I've asked them 25 times and the only thing they listen to is when I shout. The problem is that the whole thinking is faulty. And one example I give is if you, in your marriage, if every time you misbehaved, your husband gave you a smack and said dinner wasn't nice or you spilt the soup, you wouldn't accept it. And at work, it wouldn't be accepted. So why is it acceptable with our children? So when I say it's faulty thinking, what I mean by that is our job as parents is to educate our kids. I'm not talking like... Mary Poppins and everything is sweet. We actually aren't doing a good job a lot of the time. We haven't skilled them. We tell them, don't make a noise, but we don't teach them how to sit quietly. We tell them, you've got to share with your brother, but we don't teach them how to share. And they're little and they want to hold on. We actually have to skill them up. So the analogy I give, I give a lot of business analogies. If you hire someone and you've invested in hiring them and they make a mistake, you send them on a course and you skill them up. You don't say, how are you feeling and do you understand what you did wrong? That's where a lot of parents get it wrong. They think that's what I mean by not getting angry. No, what I mean is you're not able to sit still. Let's identify what the problem is. Let's give you the skills to do it. Let's change the physical environment. Let's facilitate you to be able to do it. So it's not about you're wrong and you've got a consequence. It's, there's a behavior here that needs to be changed. And it is a bit slower sometimes, but then you get the long-term gain and the benefit, and everybody benefits. I should also mention that I feel it's very easy to keep my anger in check with my kids, or if not easy, easier than with my husband. So I can be patient with the kids all day and work through things with them, but then I feel like I've lost all my emotional reserves when it comes to my husband how can, looking at that, I've always thought, well, you know, I'm in the right and he's in the mm. wrong. At least I'm not like that to the kids. But that has its own impact on the family life, doesn't it? Well, this is why I talk about people think about it not always in the right way. And one of the things I do with couples is I get couples to sit down and I say, you wouldn't run a business without sitting down and working out your mission statement. What do we want from our children? What are our highest values and how do we achieve it? And then it becomes not I'm right and you wrong, but a joint venture to create a home where you're going to grow happy children and well-adjusted children. And there's so many strategies in the book. It's not only about controlling your anger, but on how to get your child to cooperate, how to help your child behave better that prevents that possibility of anger. So as you can see, it's a whole different mind shift about parenting rather than they didn't behave, there must be a consequence. And um, I know you talk about role modeling in the book as well. And this is where I was reading it thinking, uh-oh, <laughs> I've got to get off my self-righteous horse because I think one of the uh, descriptions you had for anger was avoiding eye contact, being sulky, kind of being passive aggressive. Mm. But you were talking about when you do it to your kids. Mm. And I thought, oh, my God, I do that to my mm. husband. <laughs> no, that's women are great at that. That, I think, is a gender basis. Women sulk more than men. Mm. Mm. And that, that obviously, when you talk about role modelling, then I'm showing my children 
a way of being that I don't necessarily want them to do with me. Correct. Right. <laughs> Siobhan, <laughs> go ahead, put a note down. See, there you go, Daniel. I'd put myself in it as well. Um, <laughs> Does he listen to all your recordings? No, but he might. He, he might. might. He, <laughs> he probably might. will. This, this might be one the one. Time. Yeah. <laughs> um, can you talk to us about some of the beliefs that surround anger? You sort of go through this in your book, and I found that really interesting. Okay, so one of the um, biggest causes of anger is the belief that someone is deliberately pushing your buttons. And so, again, I hear that all the time. My two-year-old knows exactly how to push my buttons. And we call that taking it personally. It's like that two-year-old woke up in the morning and like Christopher Robin said, now how to upset her today? What should I do? And so when you take it out and you go, it's not personal, all two-year-olds right on the wall. This is why mother's groups are great because you actually realize it's not only my child who's not flushing the chain or who bit the other child or whatever. It's normal. It's not They're not doing it to push your button. So that's, I think, one of the biggest. Another cause of anger is also the belief that the whole child is bad. So we call that generalizing. So the child will do something, you know, leave something at school and you'll say, you're just a lazy good for nothing. Now, how angry if you've got a child who's a lazy good for nothing? Well, that's, but if you go, you left your jumper at school today, well, then it's a simple problem that you have to solve. So that's another big one where it's about generalizing or what we call making it pervasive that will actually make you feel much worse about what the behavior is. A third one I'll mention is this idea that you have it much worse than everybody else. People compare all the time. They're so sure that Mary down the road, you know, and Harry over there has such an easy time with their gorgeous kids. And it's only mine that won't go to sleep. And it's only mine who doesn't do the homework. Well, that would make you angry. Like, why can't you be like Harry's son? You know, why can't you be like Mary's daughter? So these are the kind of thoughts that are actually causing our anger rather than the behaviors. And then instead of focusing on the behaviors, we're focusing on what we think our child is doing to us. And the other thing when you're talking about that, I know when I get angry, it's almost always something to do with me outside of the family home. Like there might be something that I'm worried about. I've looked at our bank account or something like that. (laughs) And then they've come in and done something and then I've lost it. Is that something that you see also happens with parents, I guess, that might be stressed out and busy or? Absolutely. I mean, even for myself, um, I remember when my kids were little, if I came home at the end of a hard day at work, my fuse was much, much shorter. And so they would cop it. And so the slightest thing would be much bigger. And that's also why I have a whole chapter on self-care and being aware of using your kids as that safety valve. And again, you know, if we, if professionally we wouldn't do it, if with an adult we'd be able to put on the caring cap or the professional cap or the uh, calm cap, we owe it to our children to do that because really they depend on us for their well-being. One of the things that I know some people can feel when they fly off the handle is that they have no control over it. I know that your book has several strategies on how to manage those things, but would you have any sort of top tips, I guess, on how to manage how to manage that really quick response you might have that you feel you can't control? There is a tipping point where you have no control. You know, the Americans say, "I'm mad." when they mean they're angry because you go mad. Your, your primitive brain is firing so much. So the trick 
is really to pick up your cues long before that point. Because sometimes you reach a point where actually you will rant and rage and break things or whatever it is that you do no matter what. You can, if you're in a supportive relationship, um, have a discussion with your partner to that you have a sign that if I'm actually losing it and I see the sign, I know that I have to remove myself. Um, or you yourself, actually time out is often the only other thing you can do. Hard with small children though. But I suppose, as I'm saying, our responsibility is not to let it get to that point. And someone once said to me, I'm probably going to get this wrong, but she said as parents where we need to be kinder, wiser, we're older, kind of wiser or something like that. And sometimes, I mean, I remember thinking that once when I was about to lose it at my son Uh and just remembering, hold on a second, he's three. It's like having that trigger in your brain to switch it off. And that is one of my themes in my book. And when I wrote it, I did think it's a little bit confrontational because more than once I say, dear parent, it's your responsibility. Like you are the grown up. You've got to hold it together. You've got to get do forgiveness. You've got to understand that your child can't wait and you can wait. Um, it's not equal. And there is a generational thing of parents nurturing their kids. And I reckon until a parent's 90 years old, even if they have a child who's 70, the parent's doing the parenting. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> and I think that's going to happen. <laughs> Renee, it's been fascinating. Thank you so much Thank for coming Thank you for having in. me. That's Renee Mill. She's a clinical psychologist and author of Parenting Without Anger. It's a really interesting book. For more information, check out the link in the description of this episode of Feed, Play, Love. Feed, Play, Love is a babyology podcast produced by Elise Cooper and presented by me, Siobhan Hunt. You can get in touch. We'd love to hear from you. Email us at feedplaylove at theparentbrand.com.au. See you next time.